Brother Stewart was uh, saying we're starting a new sermon. I don't, actually, you didn't say this. I was thinking about it as you were talking. <laughs> Woo, it's been one of those mornings. Get ready, folks. This is going to be a good ride. Um, we're starting a new sermon series this morning called Traveling Through the Bible. And the reason we're doing this is because we travel in the summertime. And I, uh, I want to say a couple of things that I experience as a pastor. And you all do this. Uh, not all of you, but some of you do this to me. Um, you'll miss a few Sundays because you're going to visit relatives someplace or go on vacation. And then I'll see you and you'll say, uh, hey, pastor, sorry I missed the last few Sundays. We were on vacation going to do this thing or that thing. And I want to say something. You're not sorry. And it's okay that you're not sorry. We live in this place and we get to experience this place. We should go see things and do things and we should go see people that we love that we haven't got to see for a while. We want to have conversations with. That's a good thing. And don't ever apologize for that. When you're gone, go and do that. And when you're here, come and do this. And in the meantime, think of each other and think of, uh, think of this place and connect with us in whatever ways you can. And to honor that, we're going to travel through the Bible this year. We're going to visit some places and talk about the things that happened in those places so that we can kind of get a feel for what it, what those places that these things happened in were like. So we're going to talk about some stories that we all know, and we're going to talk about some kind of obscure stories from the Bible that have important places in them. And so uh, we're going to start with a story today that is really familiar in our culture, not just within Christianity. It's just one of those stories that if you say the name David and Goliath, people know what you're talking about anytime that somebody beats the New England Patriots, it's like, David beat Goliath. And I'm like, no, the Patriots cheat. They're not Goliath. And um, so any, you know, anytime those sorts of things happen, um, we just know this story. And so I'm going to read part of it to you this morning. And then we're going to let Tommy Lee Jones tell us the rest of the story. Before you get excited, he's not here. Uh, we're going to watch him tell the story on the screens in front of us. Wouldn't it be awesome, though, if I was like, we're going to let Tommy Lee Jones tell the rest of the story, and then he, like, walked through the back wearing his, like, Woodrow Call from Lonesome Dove costume or something. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Sokah, which represents Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Ezekah in Ephes Damon. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. That's the place we're going to be talking about this morning, the Valley of Elah. They encamped in the Valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his iron and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. 
But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three eldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn. Next to him, Abinadab. And the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed the father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried to, in vain to walk for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. Uh, in the in the pouch, His sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You know where your name comes from? My mother? No, before that. You named after King David. Your mother didn't tell you that? Ah, figures. All right. <clears throat> there were two great armies assembled, the Israelites and the Philistines, and they were both up on hills, the Valley of Eli in between. And that's a place in Palestine. You know where it is? No. Doesn't matter. Anyway. The Philistines had a champion, a huge giant named Goliath. Really? He's a robot named Goliath. This is a different guy. 
So every day for 40 days, Goliath would stride down into the valley and challenge somebody from the other side to fight, but nobody would. All the bravest and strongest warriors that the king had were all too scared. Why didn't they just shoot him? They didn't have guns. They had arrows, but there are rules to combat. You don't shoot somebody that's challenging you to fight with a sword. So anyway, one day this kid, not much bigger than you, comes delivering bread. He says to the king, I'll fight Goliath. Really? No way. True story. So the king dresses David in his own armor, but it's much too big and heavy. So David takes it off and he looks around. He finds five smooth stones about that big. And he steps out into the valley with his slingshot in his hand. Goliath comes running, yelling this horrible scream. David lets fly with that slingshot, hits him in the forehead, cracks his skull open. Goliath falls down, dead. So he shot him? With a rock. Not the same thing. You want to know how he beat him? First thing David had to fight was his own fear. He beat that, he beat Goliath. Because when Goliath came running, David just planted his feet, took aim, and waited. You know how much courage that took? Just a few more steps and Goliath would have crushed him. Then he let fly with that rock. That's how you fight monsters. You lure them in close to you, you look them in the eye, you smack them down. You fight a lot of monsters? Yeah. You win? But didn't that have been crushed, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay then. Good night. I'm going to finish up a sermon like that someday. I'm just going to say, okay then, and, and walk off the stage, and you all are going to think it's awesome. <laughs> That's how I'm dreaming of it anyway. So we know that story. That's such a common story in our cultural narrative, but we don't think much about the story, like kind of what we can learn from it and... and uh, we don't think about the place really at all. And so here's a modern-day picture of the Valley of Elah. And the hill that we're standing on that the picture is taken from is the side that the Philistine army was on. And so you can imagine that on, well, it, the reality is the hill on the other side of the road going right through the valley is the hill that uh, most people think the Israelites were camped on. Now Goliath was from Gath, and Gath was up the road a ways, and David was from, anybody know where David was from? Bethlehem. David was from Bethlehem, which was at the other end of the road. So there's kind of an interesting thing here. They're on opposite sides of the battlefield, but they grew up on opposite sides of the valley also. And so the Philistines were, this was a major trade route, and there were five of these valleys. There are five of these valleys in this region of Israel. And all of them have wadis or streams that when water, you, I mean, we know what wadis are. We call them arroyos, right? And so... When there's a major rainstorm, water rushes through them and goes to a river, which makes its way into an ocean. And so these wadis make their way to the Sea of Galilee. And there were five of them. And this valley was the most important. It had a road coming through it that went from 
the cities on the coastal plain all the way up into Jerusalem. It was a trade route, and the Philistines were making their way up this valley, trying to get to Jerusalem, and the Israelites cut them off. And the story tells us that for 40 days, Goliath would come out from the ranks of the Philistine army, and he would taunt the Israelites and try to get their champion to come out and fight him which was a common way of fighting back in ancient times. So if I'm the commander of an army, and I know that your army is going to conquer mine, but I have an incredible champion on my side, what I would do is say, champion, go out and challenge their champion. And it's a battle of winner takes all. Whoever wins that game of one-on-one wins the entire battle. And then also, that means that the guy who wins the battle, or the army that wins the battle, their god is more powerful. So the plot thickens as you kind of know these things and you can kind of see what's going on. The plot thickens. It's not just about the Israelites and the Philistines. It's about the gods that the Philistine worshipped and the God that the Israelites worshipped. Whose God is more powerful? Who's going to serve whom in what capacity? So Goliath comes out and we know that he's a giant of a man. He's really tall, he's big, and he's strong. He carries a spear between his shoulder blades and the back, and there's so much weight to that spear that he doesn't have to throw it incredibly hard because it's just heavy enough that there's enough kinetic energy that the tip of his spear will pierce armor. His helmet is heavy and thick, and it takes a lot to conquer this man. So we're told that Jesse has several sons, and the three of his oldest sons are on the battle lines. They're out to fight with King Saul. And David, Jesse's youngest son, is sent to the battle lines and back to the field, and to the battle lines and back to the field where he's a shepherd. And when he goes to the battle lines, he's told to check on his older brothers and make sure they have food to eat, and if there's anything extra, make sure that Saul and the generals of the army get it. So that's what David's doing. One day David shows up and the armies are lining up to go out to the battle lines and he sees Goliath step forward and Goliath starts to curse the God of Israel and he starts to call them all sorts of names and he's taunting them and nobody steps up. David's a teenager probably around this time. Hormonal as could be, pumped full of testosterone and he's around all these soldiers who have a ton of testosterone pumping through their bodies, and he sees his older brothers, who he's always looked up to, and he sees their friends, who he's always looked up to, and he is so disappointed that none of them will step up to fight this giant who is cursing their God. So David starts talking. Why won't somebody fight? Are you all cowards? And his brothers get frustrated with him, and King Saul hears him. And King Saul and David start to have a conversation and Saul says, look, I, I, I love the fact that you want to go out there, the energy that you have, the, the, the fire in your soul that you have for God, that you want to go out and fight on behalf. But listen, you're just a boy. That's a giant. That guy has killed hundreds of people. David says, you don't understand. That guy's nothing. I've killed lions and bears who are coming after my sheep. I can take this guy. And there's something in the confidence that David speaks with 
that resonates with Saul. And Saul says, all right, let's give it a try. Nothing's happened in 40 days. Let's give this thing a try. So he grabs his armor and he gives it to David. And he says, you got to have some armor if you're going to fight. And he puts the armor on. And that's David's biggest flaw in this entire battle. He puts on someone else's armor. We all have monsters in our lives. It may be the monster of mental illness. It may be the monster of cancer. It may be the monster of heart disease. It may be the monster of chronic pain. It might be the monster of relationships lost and jobs not held. It may be the, the monsters of never being able to complete the education that we wanted so we can't get the jobs that we want. We all have those monsters in our lives. But what we need to realize, and I think you're probably already preaching sermons in your head right now, this is what I would say and this is what I would do, and I want you to hold on to those. Because God is placing them in your mind right now to share with someone who is fighting a monster. But here's what God wants me to say to you to fight the monsters that you have to fight. God has already given you every single thing you need to face your monster. You do not need to put on someone else's armor. Someone else's armor is going to slow you down and make it where you can't move, to make it where you can't do the battle that you need to do. The thing David had going for him was that he was fast and he was quick and he was small. If he tried to wrestle with Goliath, Goliath would have had a hard time getting his hands on David. David could get in and out and, and Goliath would have still been trying to grab him. And he needed that quickness, and he recognized as soon as he put on Saul's armor, I'm done for if I walk out there with this. I can't move. I need to move to be able to fight. Some of us have the ability to carry heavy, thick, strong armor, and some of us need to just walk out there. But whatever you need, God has given you. The first time that I ever preached a sermon, it was terrible. You may be saying, well, some things have not changed. But the first time, it was really bad. And it was in front of my home church. What happened was I was in school here at New Mexico State, and I was involved with the Wesley Foundation. And Jan Archie, who was our, the director of the Wesley Foundation back then, used to take our praise team to different churches around the state, and they would lead in worship. And then those of us who we felt we were being invited to, into full-time paid ministry as a career would start kind of bartering on who got to preach the sermon that time. Well, we were going to Carlsbad, my hometown, and, and uh, we were going to my home church, and so I was able to really finagle my way in to get to preach the sermon, and I was really nervous about it, and I was standing in the hallway outside of the sanctuary, and the pastor of the church came up to me, and he said, how are you feeling? And I said, oh, man, I'm so nervous. I don't know. And I just kind of started, like, vomiting words all over him, and he goes, Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Every moment of your life has led you up to this moment of your life. And every moment of your life, God has been preparing you for this moment of your life. And I went out and preached a terrible sermon. 
But that terrible sermon prepared me for other moments of my life. Every single moment of your life, God can and will use to prepare you for the next moment. To face whatever giant or monster you have to face, God has given you everything you need. But it may not be something you hold in your hands or even hold within you. It may be a relationship that you have with someone else who can point you in the direction of a place that you can get better help from other relationships. I've thought a lot over the last two or three days about mental illness. You may have seen the news that Anthony Bourdain completed suicide. And Kate Spade completed suicide. And I don't know about you, but I have other, I have friends in my life, people that, that were close to me that completed suicide. My guess is, I mean, this didn't happen to me this last week, but over the, the history of my life, I have known and loved people who have completed suicide, and I'm sure you have too. Sometimes the monsters conquer. But I've been thinking this last week because on my Instagram feed and on Twitter and then in a lot of articles I've read, people are saying, if you need help, reach out. But the reality is sometimes when you need help, you don't know how to reach out. So let me tell you something else I want us to hear from this story. Imagine... David stepping off out of this dark section on the other hill, out onto the road and into the field. David was a normal person. Read the scriptures. He was a twerp when he was a kid, and he was a jerk when he was an adult, just like all of us. He committed horrific sins that wrecked people's lives and marriages, but he also did really heroic things sometimes, just like us. That's why I have no doubt that David stepped out there with doubt. The writers of Scripture want us to think that David walked out there with 100% full confidence, and I just don't believe that. I believe David stepped out there wondering, what could go wrong? What if I miss what if this doesn't go the way that it can go? But there were people behind him cheering him on and yelling for him. And his older brothers were, who had taught him how to throw, the, throw a rock from a sling were saying, David, keep your arm up high. Don't drop your elbow. We can be the cheerleaders for those who are fighting monsters just as much as we need cheerleaders. We can be, for those who are fighting monsters, the coach reminding them of the things that they need to hear and do to be able to conquer the monsters that are in front of them. But that requires that we are in real relationship with people, that we share our very souls with other people and take the risk of telling them what our monsters are so that they can share with us what their monsters are so that when the day comes when they can't tell you what their monster is, you can see that they're fighting it. Because sometimes, people who are fighting monsters 
can't even talk about it. We have to pray that the Holy Spirit will give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we can do the work that we are called to do as followers of Jesus. Do you know the story of Moses and Aaron? There's a time that Moses, the Israelites are in battle once again, and Moses is standing on a hill with his arms up in the air. And as long as he has his arms up in the air and is praying, the Israelites are winning, but as soon as his arms start to fall and he gets tired, the Israelites start losing. Imagine that, that you have to stand with your arms up because if you drop them, your friends are going to die. So you stand there, and before long, your arms start to shake, and you're biting your lips, and you're sweating, and you can't hardly do it anymore. Aaron comes along and props Moses' arms up for him. We don't have to be Moses, but we do have to be Aaron. We don't have to be David, but we do have to be the brothers and the soldiers that are supporting him. And if you find yourself being David, just know you don't need to put on anybody else's armor. God loves you, and God has equipped you, and you're going to do what you need to do. And we don't know what the outcome is going to be, but we can know that we are loved. And that matters a lot. So, may we go and be the supporters and the coaches and the cheerleaders and may we go and step onto the battlefield and draw the monster in and sling the stone, trusting that God's going to do the work that God is going to do. And may we do it all for the glory of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I struggle sometimes, just like you do, to believe the things that I say I believe. And so when we affirm our faith and tell one another what it is that we believe, notice that it always says we believe, not I believe. Because there are days that I struggle to believe, but on those days, I'm counting on you, Janet. And I'm counting on you, Stuart. And I'm counting on you, Larry. And I'm counting on you, Dixie. And the rest of you I'm counting on because we believe. And so when I'm struggling, you help me get through. But when you're struggling, I'll be part of the crowd that helps you get through. So let's tell one another right now what it is that we believe. We believe in God, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. <laughs> 